0: We're talking today about brokenness. In a world that is built on image, and having it all together, and social media accounts, making it appear as though everybody is living their best life right now, we don't like to talk about brokenness. For that matter, we don't wanna talk about the things that we would like to forget, and brokenness is one of those. For the most part, we don't want people to ever see us as vulnerable, or is hurting, or not fully in charge. So we try to hide things. Here's the problem with that. Hurt eventually comes out. It leaks out through conversations, it creeps out through our emotions, it escapes our grasp at the most inopportune times. Hurt doesn't stay hidden. If you were to look through the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus was not immune from the hurt and the pain and the brokenness of this world. Whenever the Bible describes the fact that he died on a cross for us we know that he went through physical pain, he went through a broken body that you and I might have relationship with God. We recognize at one particular point in the gospel accounts that Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and he began to weep because he was looking at people who were broken and hurting and scattered like, without, like sheep without a shepherd. Towards the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, one of his closest disciples, a, a friend of his, betrayed him. And another one denied him. And then all of the disciples ran when he was arrested. Those feelings of loneliness or rejection or hurt that sometimes we experience in this life... Jesus understood every single bit of that. So much so that the prophet Isaiah spoke of him and said he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Jesus experienced the brokenness of this world. I think it's important for us to to pause somewhere along the way in this message and just state the obvious. We live in a broken world, and none of us, are going to make it through unscathed. Every single person in this room, if you've not already, it's coming, you're going to experience broken relationships, broken promises, broken dreams. There's people in the room right now, I know, because there's no way that there's a crowd of this size that this isn't happening. There's people in the room right now that are hurting because of a broken family. There's people who are hurting in this room because of a broken body. There's people that are hurting in this room right now because of a broken heart. Brokenness impacts all of us. It's a part of the human experience. There is virtually an endless number of ways that brokenness can impact our lives. This last week I ran across a quote from Charles Stanley on the subject of brokenness. He said, brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness brokenness is god's requirement for maximum usefulness god allows us to go through breaking moments not because he doesn't care not because he cannot see not because He is unable to intervene. God allows us to go through those breaking moments because brokenness reveals need, and recognizing need draws us close to God. It's in that closeness that God does a greater work in and through us. God wastes nothing. What you're walking through right now is not wasted, what you've been through in your past is not wasted what you're gonna face next week that you don't even know is coming yet, just take it for this morning. It's not going to be wasted in the economy of God. Whenever we are broken by our own sin, God uses that brokenness to draw us to himself and to develop a deeper heart for repentance and holiness and righteousness. Whenever we're broken by the actions of others, God uses that to draw us to himself and to show us that he is enough and that he is able to address the deepest wounds of our hearts. Whenever we are focused on the broken state of the world around us, God uses it once again to draw us to himself and help us to see once again why the gospel is so important. And listen, and to remind us one more time, this world is not our home. God uses brokenness Did you notice in all three of those categories, he uses brokenness to draw us to himself. Our pain has purpose. There is value in brokenness. So as Charles Stanley said, brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. This last week when I read that statement, it it stirred something inside of me that It's been there for a long time, but it kind of hit in a different way. I want God to fully use me. I want maximum usefulness. I am not overly excited about brokenness being the vehicle it arrives in. But here's the thing. We're all going to face brokenness. So now the question has to be, I know it's in my heart, and hopefully it's going to be in yours. God... How can we submit these things, those feelings, that hurt in a way that leads to maximum usefulness? If you're going to go through it anyway, isn't it good for God to use it for his glory? So this morning, we're going to take another step in our journey of issues of the heart We're going to see what brokenness is and how God uses it and why it is important to submit it at every level back to God. We're going to see the major categories of which brokenness is spoken of in Scripture. We're going to walk through some moments in King David's life and we're going to see what God taught him in the context of brokenness. Did you know there is a reason why people run to the Psalms when they're hurting? Do you know why? Because David is one of the most authentic, honest people you'll ever run into in the sense that all of the things that are in our heads that we might feel like should not come out our lips, he lets it come out in, in writing on the page. And he says, God, I'm hurting. God, I don't understand. God, where are you in my pain? When is this going to stop? How are you going to be glorified? Like, he he shares those struggles. He he wrestles through the brokenness of life in a way that causes us to say, that's someone who gets it. And you're going to see this morning, he gets it. So we're going to take our time. We're going to walk through this section of scripture, and I want you to see once again how the word of God addresses the needs of our heart. I'm grateful that you're with us this morning. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34, we're in verse number 18. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of brokenness. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, it simply says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your perfect will, perfect work be done this morning as we walk through your word. May your spirit guide us, guide each of us in the exact way that this text is to apply to the circumstances of our lives. And God, may we not get to the end of this and just have a quick prayer and say that's enough. But oh God, may we submit every fiber of our being to you that you would do a complete and full work of healing and restoration in each of our hearts. God, we need you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So with a topic as big as brokenness, there's multiple different verses, multiple different angles that we could take. And I wanted us to address it from Psalm 34 because this is a psalm, this is a text that has a bigger story behind it. And when we see the bigger story, it allows us to be able to see some other truths come alive in new ways. So the book of Psalms It contains 14 different psalms introduced by words linking them back to specific incidents in the life of king david that is if you were to look under the chapter heading like psalm 34 many times in your bible it'll say something like this a psalm of david when he feigned madness before abimelech who drove him away and he departed it's almost like a little byline a tagline it kind of helps you understand a little bit more about what's happening for that particular psalm. So the incident that is referenced here is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. Just maybe write that down as a reference off to the side. You don't have to turn there unless you would like. Uh, It's 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. But here's the basics of what was happening in that moment. David was fleeing for his life before King Saul. He's left his land, the land of Israel, And he went to the coastal region of the Philistines, and he is actually seeking asylum from a Philistine king by the name of Achish, also known as Abimelech. So whenever it gives that reference right below chapter 34, it's the same person. It's a a title on one, it's the name on the other is what we believe. But he is the king of Gath. Now you might remember that David had some interesting connections with the the town or the city of Gath, and that is Gath was the hometown of Goliath, the Philistine giant, the warrior that he had killed in battle. Just before going to Gath, David was actually given Goliath's sword by one of the priests, and you can already see how there's a tense, very possibly awkward situation that's about to happen as he shows back up in the city. So here's the basics. He's running from his li- for his life from his king, the king of Israel, King Saul. He's looking for asylum from a Philistine king by the name of Achish. The Israelites and the Philistines, they were constantly battling. And in one of those battles, he has killed the Philistine giant, the, the warrior, the, the major, I guess, proponent that they had, the one that they thought was invincible, And after killing him a couple of years prior to this, he's now coming to Goliath's hometown carrying Goliath's sword. This is your classic insult to injury moment. This is adding salt in the wound. So no sooner does David show up than the servants of Achish recognize him and it says, is that not David, the king of the land? And they begin to mention lyrics of the songs that they would sing about David's exploits and the fact that he had, had slain his tens of thousands. And when he hears them recognize him and start to sing the song, he gets afraid, unafraid to the point that he thinks that he is going to be killed by stepping back into this. So it tells us over in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 13, it says, David disguised his sanity. That's a fun phrase. There's a lot of people in our world right now disguising their sanity. They might not be doing it intentionally, but it's happening right now. See, he he disguised his sanity. He he pretended to be a crazy person he, he made these weird markings at the city gates he let spit go down into his beard he was such a good actor that the king thought he was crazy so according to the text instead of arresting him or killing him he simply let him go away he drove him away and allowed David to leave now if you were to look in the section going around first Samuel chapter 21 It tells us that he escaped from Gath and he fled to a cave in Adullam. It's believed it was in that cave that he wrote chapter 34, the section that we're going to be studying today. It's in this section that you'll see David cries out to God for help and God absolutely delivers him. That is in chapter 34. In fact, chapter 34 is beautifully divided into two major sections. The first 10 verses, it's about David's testimony of God's faithfulness and why we should trust him and what God has done. And then you get the second set of verses, 11 through 22. And it's David's observations about walking with God in difficult moments. Uh, This is so beautifully divided. It's the reason Spurgeon called the first 10 verses a hymn and the second 12 verses a sermon you got both in the same chapter so if you were to look back for just a moment in the first 3 verses you would notice in chapter 34 that there is a call to worship and there's actually six different imperatives that he lists he he says bless the lord his praise shall continually be on my mouth boast in the lord the humble will hear it and rejoice Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David is testifying of God's goodness and he is inviting others to join with him in praising and magnifying the name of the Lord. There is a profound truth that we just covered just then. Here's what I want you to see. When we have personally, when we have personally when we have personally experienced the deliverance the mercy and the faithfulness of God that natural thing is to praise him with our lips but listen it doesn't end there the second part of what's natural is we want others to join in the praise of our God Did you know that's what we just did a moment ago? Whenever we come to church, it's not that you could not sit at home and watch the same service and sing the same songs, but there is something about being together with God's people and you bring your worship and I bring my worship and he brings his worship and she brings her worship and we bring our worship together in one place and we say, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name. Here it is. Together, there's something about the community of God's people singing his praises. When you have seen God come through in your life, you say, not only am I going to praise him, but somebody else has got to praise him too. That's what David is doing in the section. Listen, when believers live in a state of conscious awareness of God's presence, and what that means is you wake up in the morning and say, God, you're with me. And you walk through your day and say, God, you are my strength. And you get into your problem and say, God, you are my help. And then you begin to look at, he He stepped into this moment right here with you. And he helped you in this decision. He's working in your family and he's walking you through issues of your heart. When a person is living in a state of conscious awareness of God's presence, the first thing they want to do is say, Thank you, God, for what you've done. And second thing, they say, let me find somebody else to tell. I can't keep this to myself. Come on. Could it be that one of the reasons believers stink at sharing their faith is because we've made it a canned presentation and not the overflow of a life lived in the glorious presence of our God? When it's genuine, when it's real, all you got to do is say, you might not understand it, but I got to tell you what my God has been doing for me. And there's something about somebody not knowing, not understanding that draws them in. They're like, I don't get it, but it's beautiful. I don't get it, but he's walking through something I couldn't walk through. I don't understand it fully, but that person is genuinely living out their faith. We need people who are walking with God and saying, he's good to me, would you let me tell you about what God's doing? And if you've got to go back 25 years for something God did in your life, that is not walking in the conscious awareness of God's presence. Let it be fresh. Let it be this morning, this is what my God has done. Let it be this morning, this is where he's met me in the word. Let it be, this is what I've been praying about, and here's how my God has answered. That's how David is walking in this moment. As you continue to read this section, you'll find in the context of chapter 21, could easily be the lowest point in David's life to this point. Why would I say that? Because in the previous chapter, he just had to part with his closest friend, Jonathan. He just found out that the Saul, King Saul is determined to kill him. He's running for his life. He's completely alone. He has nothing. He has no bodyguard, no armor, no weapons. He didn't even have food. That's, he had to stop and get food from the priest at Nob. He shows up in Gath had to fake being insane, and then he hides himself in a cave. You could easily say at this point he has lost his dignity, he has lost his home, he has lost his self-respect at this point. It is no wonder David described himself in verse 6 as this poor man. He had nothing at this point. It is textbook picture of brokenness. So let's pause. Are you financially broken today? David was too. Are you alone and discouraged today? David was too. Are you worried about your future? Are you at a low point in your life? Do you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place? Does it seem like everything and everyone is against you? Are you hurting to the point you feel like you have to be someone else to even survive? If any of that resonates, here's what a guy who was walking through every bit of that would say to you at this moment. Psalm 34, 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears they looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed this poor man cried and the lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles the angel of the lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them david says here's what i did when i was in that place i sought god I brought my fears before God. I cried out to God in my troubles. That's all I could do. I couldn't solve it. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't make it happen. He was like, this is all I could do. I just brought it to God. But look at the second part. But here's what my God did. He answered me. He delivered me. In my poverty, he heard me and he saved me. He camped his angels around me and he rescued me oh but listen but none of that happens quickly that's why this is so important based on the story from first samuel 21 david's circumstances did not change immediately he was still alone he was still running for his life he's still in danger for a period of time he was still thinking that nobody was supporting him. It was going to be down the road that there would be a group that would come that were loyal to him. That, the 400 like kind of ragtag warriors who came alongside. But that's not happened at this point yet. So in this chat, here's what he's done. He's praising God in advance. He's, he's like, I don't know how it's going to work. I'm going to praise him right now. Here it is. The issue is, what do you do between brokenness and God's deliverance? Yes. What are you going to do in that moment? What are you going to do in that season? How do we learn to wait well? How do we learn to keep our eyes on truth and to walk with God when everything else around us seems to be falling apart? That's what he gets to in verses 18 and 19. He says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. What should you remember in these moments? The Lord is near. How near? How near? near enough to see, near enough to know, near enough to walk you through each step that you're facing right now. He is not absent, he is not distracted, he has not forsaken you. He is close enough to see exactly what is happening and he knows what you're going through. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, The word brokenhearted, it means overcome by grief or by despair, this, this phrase, crushed in spirit, it speaks of being disturbed, destroyed, bruised, and beaten. He says, when you're there, remember this. The Lord is near, and the Lord saves. The Lord is near, and the Lord saves. When somebody's overwhelmed by what's going on in their life, they can't remember a list of 58 things to do. They need simple they they need just clear, simple truth. The Lord is near. The Lord saves. Then in verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I am so grateful that the word of God gives a, a clear view, realistic view of reality of life. It, it's not that believers have no struggle in life. In fact, if a person is going to walk in faith and walk in obedience, there's going to be struggles that come with that. This chapter clearly says it. Verse number 4, verse number 6, verse 17, verse 19. Clearly there's going to be problems. But here's the difference. The promise of Scripture is not that God delivers us and pulls us out of every problem, but that God is with us in the problem and will work it all together for good in his timing. That's the promise that we have. Here's the issue, will we trust him to do that? Will we trust him that his timing is better than our preference? Will we trust him that he knows what we don't know and he is doing things that we could not even fathom? Will we trust him that our brokenness has a greater purpose? Will we trust him that his promises are not negated by our circumstances? Will we trust him that his way is best and it's always best? Those ideas all apply to three main categories of brokenness that are found in scripture. The first is there's brokenness from world problems. That is, we we live in a broken world that has been scarred by sin. Nobody makes it through this life without feeling the pain of walking in this world. In fact, the Bible speaks of creation itself groaning for restoration after the fall. It's found over in Romans 8:22. Uh, natural things in this world, such as natural disasters or sickness or death or barren wombs or accidents or famine, pestilence, drought and so many other types of things can bring incredible pain and brokenness and hurt into our lives. It's simply a part of living in a broken world that's been scarred by sin. But second, there's brokenness over personal sin. Please hear me on this. When a person recognizes their own sinfulness, when the weight of regrets and mistakes starts to sink in, when we get so disgusted with our fleshly Tendencies and see how those things have hurt us and hurt those around us. There is a brokenness that comes with that. King David experienced that brokenness after sleeping with Bathsheba, having her husband killed in battle, and then being confronted by Nathan the prophet. He was broken over his sin. You find that Peter experienced that same thing after he had denied Christ. He denied him three different times, and there's that one place in the gospel that says that whenever the rooster crowed, he looked up and his eyes caught the eyes of Jesus, staring right back, and it broke him. There's a brokenness that comes with our own personal sin, and it needs to be. It's good. Without that brokenness, you don't experience true humility. You don't experience full surrender. You you don't have an honest self-assessment of what's going on. So Psalm 51, 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Here's what scripture says. Bring your brokenness to God. Bring it to him. When you're hurting, bring it to him. When you're broken over sin, bring it to him. I love what John Ortberg says. Genuine brokenness pleases God more than pretend spirituality. Genuine brokenness pleases God more than pretend spirituality. There's a last category here as well. There's brokenness when people attack. God has created us as relational beings. We are made to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with the church, right relationship with the world. But you'll often find that as relational beings, our greatest joys in this life, and sometimes our most hurtful moments in this world are gonna happen in connection with other people. There's just a part of of hurting people, where the phrase goes, hurting people hurt people. It, it, It plays out so many times. When people lived with fractured and unrepentant hearts, when people walk with wounds from their past, when people struggle with their self-worth and believing that they have innate value and wrestling with sinful patterns, when, when people are going through those things, it's going to be manifested in the relationships around them. There's going to be times where it's going to come out. Like I said in the very beginning, hurt eventually comes out. And sometimes that hurt comes out and we say things that are hurtful to someone else. Sometimes we do things that are spiteful because we want somebody else to hurt as bad as we do in this moment. There's many times that we are simply mimicking the poor examples of those who have hurt us in the past. Oh, please hear me. None of that excuses our own sin. Every single person stands before God and gives an account for their sin their heart their actions it's not an excuse to say because of what happened to me I am now validated in this behavior no here's what that should mean because of what has happened to me I am in desperate need of the gospel to change my life That's what it should lead to. It should lead to a deeper awareness and deeper need and deeper appreciation for what God has done. And listen, you might be saved. There's a lot of saved people in this room. Amen? Lord willing? Hopefully? Amen. Thank you. If not, we're going to go back and start again. But there's a lot of saved people in this room. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, I've said it many times, we think the gospel is what we needed to be saved. And then we move on to something else. The gospel is not only for salvation, it is for sanctification. It is not just what you need to be saved. It's what you need to live like a saved person. It is the gospel that reminds you of where he found you. It's the gospel that drops you to your knees. It's the gospel that helps us see the wickedness that is still in our mind and sometimes in our being. And and it's the gospel that says, yes, repent. Keep sharing that with me. Forgiveness is already yours in Christ. You are already completely accepted. Don't run from the pain anymore. just keep bringing it back to me bring it we're going to work it through we're going to work it through the Holy Spirit who began a good work in you will complete his work and a part of this is going to be he's healing the heart there's a brokenness that we experience in this life because we're in this world brokenness by personal sin and brokenness by the attacks of others and the gospel is just as relevant across the board for every situation. How do you know if brokenness has impacted your heart? I'm going to give you what I'm going to consider to be a starter list. This is by no means an exhaustive list. But I'm also going to tell you from the very beginning, each person walks through brokenness in a little bit different way. It's not that we don't experience a lot of the same things. It's the fact That when people are hurting, they have a natural tendency to find ways to cope with what they're walking through. So we have our own little concoction of things that we rely on as opposed to relying on God. So here's just some of those. Oftentimes you'll notice that brokenness is manifested in substance abuse, in aggressive or hostile actions, entering or extending constant arguments, withdrawal from social interactions, feeling constantly threatened by others, self-destructive behaviors, impulsive behaviors, uncontrolled and overwhelming thoughts, depression, shame, hopelessness, despair, anxiety, mood swings, feeling worthless, entrenched in sinful behaviors, nightmares, panic attacks, anger, passive-aggressive tendencies, uh, slandering people and tearing them down before others, that's just a small list of what it looks like when brokenness is coming out of us. When we recognize some of these things in our life, the question becomes, what do you do next? What's the right next step? This is is where it gets unbelievably personal for everyone in the room. When broken and confused... I cannot encourage you enough to build this phrase into the systems, into the prayers, and into the patterns of your life. Here it is. God hears my pain. What's your path? God hears my pain. What's your path? If we're not careful, our next step while broken may only lead to greater levels of brokenness. Isolating ourselves or holding grudges or refusing to engage with others only leaves us more lonely than what we were before. Turning to substance abuse or binge watching TV or overeating, many times it just exasperates the problems even more. Let your next step be this simple. God, here's my pain, what's your path? Be honest with God. Bring your pain. Bring your problems. Bring your frustrations. Just bring it to God. Say, here's what I'm going through. But then you need to seek his path. Seek his. The issue is not, what does your pastor say? If what I say does not align with what the word of God says, do not believe me. If If what you heard on a talk show does not align with what the Word of God says, do not believe what you heard on that talk show. If what your best friend says, because they want to be supportive of you in this moment, does not align with what the Word of God says, do not believe your best friend Now, I'm not saying destroy your relationships. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes people in our attempt to try to be nice in the moment are unwilling to give the hard truths that the Word of God shares. So what happens? People make bad mistake after bad mistake after bad mistake while they have friends saying, I support you the whole way. No, if you support your friend, bring them back to the Word of God. Don't lead them astray any further. So here's what you're doing. God, here's my pain. What's your path? It might be that God's path for you, He says, I want you to follow me into repentance right now. It might be that God's path for you, He might say, I want you to go reconcile with that person who hurt you. It might be that God's path for you right now is He says, I want you to bring that to me and sit with me longer. It might be that he's saying to you at this point, I want you to seek counsel on this. I want you to share what's going on with other believers so that you can experience authentic biblical community. I I can't tell you all the pieces, but here's what I can tell you without a doubt. God's plan, his path, will always align with his word It's going to be led by his spirit. That's going to be clear. God hears my pain. What's your path? i got a good promise for you to hold on to now. It's Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Do not read that verse and say, not in my situation. Read that verse and say, God, I'm trusting you that you can do what this verse is saying. Why should we deal with any of these issues? Because they affect our heart. As we found out last week, what happens in our heart determines the course of our life, Proverbs 4.23. If the heart is unhealthy, it threatens everything else. Our family, our friends, our career, our character, our future, it threatens everything Our big truth from last week is just as equally relevant today. Your life becomes a portrait of your heart. Changing the portrait requires changing the heart. I'm going to leave you with this small statement, and we're going to open up for a time of invitation. Eric Lydell, an Olympic gold medal runner and inspiration for the movie Chariots of Fire, said this in relation to brokenness. Oh, it's such a good quote. Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. Our broken lives are not lost or useless. God's love is still working. Did you get that phrase? God is not helpless among the ruins. God is not helpless among the ruins. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow your heads for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. I want you to think carefully about what I'm about to ask. Where is brokenness hitting you today? Where is God convicting you in saying, I wanna deal with this part of your life? Where is He gently nudging you in this moment and saying, Bring blank, whatever that is, bring that to me. When you're dealing with brokenness, I know it's going to hurt. I know there's going to be every bit of resistance inside of you saying, if I just push it down a little bit longer, it's going to go away. It will not go away. Unless God addresses it and brings full healing and restoration, it's just going to keep surfacing, it's going to keep popping up, it's going to keep hurting those that are around you as well as yourself. God wants to deal with the brokenness. I recognize it is hard to be authentic in a world that is built on fake. But in the church, we've got to be real. We've got to be authentic. So wherever it is in your heart right now, Wherever you might be thinking, I got it, I can handle this, I want to encourage you, please do not let pride lead to greater levels of destruction. If we're not careful, our next step while broken may only lead to greater levels of brokenness. So right now, wherever God might be working in your heart, I just want to encourage you, follow what the Spirit is leading There's going to be pastors, and some of our pastor's wives will be down front. There's going to be counselors that will be down front. You might just need somebody to come and pray with you this morning. You might need somebody that can do spiritual CPR this morning. You might need somebody to just say, I hear what you're going through. Let me join you right now in prayer. But here's what I cannot encourage you enough to do. Don't let this moment right now be one Where you pray a quick prayer and say it's now done. I can move on with my life. No, the brokenness doesn't happen in a moment and unless God does something miraculous right now it's not going to be removed in a moment. It's going to be that he walks with you and he addresses the brokenness along the way. Submit to the process and let him do his full work. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize right now, God, that we need you we need you to address the gospel into our hearts pinpoint it like a laser to the area right now that is hurting and broken god we need you to release people from the shackles of shame and guilt and worthlessness we need you god to To so open things up that there's a genuine work of your spirit that happens that, Lord, none of us could take credit for that, but we recognize that you are at work and that you're moving. God, we're needing you to do a deep work of the heart. So Lord, may you meet us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand, the invitation time is open. The altar is open. There's people here right now that want to pray with you and walk with you through this. Whatever it is, don't walk it alone. Continue to share those struggles with God.